So uh, if, if uh, you know much about me at all, and I realize that after the past three weeks, some of you have no idea who I am. My name's Steve. Yeah, thank, nice, to, nice to be here. If you know anything about me at all, if you're around me very much, you know that I love the church. And, and by the church, I don't mean the building or the, the, the yard around it. I mean the thing that is the church that is comprised of the people. I love the church. Yes, I love this church, but I love the idea of the church. And I, I love what it is that, that a church and a community, a community can do to change the face of people and families and the community around it, not because we try harder, but because of Jesus. And, and the reason that we gather is to celebrate and to worship Him. And today we're going we're gonna to talk more about this early church. We're going to talk about what it looked like and, and uh, what it was. And we're going to see what happened when they ran into their first uh, bump, the first grumbles in the early church. And, and if you've been around church very long, you know that kind of stuff happens. And despite that, I still love the church. I've been in ministry full-time now for about 20 years. 20 years of full-time pastoral ministry. There's some things that I've noticed in those years that are pretty consistent no matter where it is that I have been a pastor, whatever church community I've been involved with. There's some things that are, that are pretty similar. We could have a long list. Pastor Rich would have his own list, I'm certain, but I bet you'll agree with all of these, Pastor Rich. One of them is this. For the most part, grooms don't really worry much about the wedding service as long as the pastor doesn't forget the first kiss. Now, there are some grooms who have a lot more to say about it, but for the most part, it doesn't matter where the church is around the country. The groom-to-be sits quietly while the bride-to-be tells us the way it's going to be. And that's okay, because she spent a lot more time thinking about the wedding than any of the rest of us have. I've noticed that Christians, including pastors, always need to be on guard against pride and arrogance. I've noticed that almost everybody in church has an opinion, but not everybody cares. I've noticed that when churches are filled with people who start getting greedy or are overtaken with a mindset of scarcity rather than a spirit of generosity, Fights and quarrels and quibbles often start happening of over the strangest things and, and often end in devastating ways. And I've learned that generosity has nothing to do with our wealth and everything to do with our hearts. The Bible makes it clear over and over and over that God is a God of abundance. Now, now hear me clearly. When I say that, that is not a prosperity gospel statement. That is a statement about God's character. The God that we read about in the Bible, the way that God has revealed Himself to us, is a God of great abundance. Nor does it say that, that by becoming a Christian, God wants to make us rich any more than by coming, becoming a Christian, we're going to be free from pain or suffering. That's not the case at all. The Bible doesn't say it, and your life experience doesn't show it. However, God is a God of abundance. God has lavished His love on us. God has poured out His Holy Spirit on us. God has blessed us beyond measure with the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's all showing the abundance of God. Yet even as Christians, in the midst of all of that, we can so quickly start to think that we don't have enough or that if God gives that person any more, He's going to run out and He's not going to have anything for me or somebody else is going to get more of the good stuff, so I need to get my way in there. Someone else is going to get a little bit more power or I'm going to have a right to be jealous. And today we pick up 
this part of the history of the early church that that very same thing is happening. People are worried about getting left out as though somehow God is going to run out. And in 20 years of professional ministry, I have never seen God run out of anything. It's us who get worried about it and thinking about different things. So Acts, if you're going to follow along in your Bible, we're starting out in Acts today, 6th chapter, 1st verse. Now in these days, and this is when the early church is just beginning the book of Acts, it's after Pentecost, uh, things are going really well. People are, are coming to faith. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, and I'll explain who they are in a moment, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Just like so many of the stories that we have of the church history, God is doing something incredible. God is doing something wonderful in this early church. And then people get involved and problems start. Been there? Been a part of that church before? Well, it's 2,000 years old. See, at this moment in the life of the church, the people who were being saved was increasing, and the, the gathering of believers were doing exactly what Jesus had commanded them to do. And they were discipling and teaching and training and loving new believers and teaching them how to live and to grow in their faith. And the number of disciples was growing, the church was growing, and the church was on the move. It would have been an incredibly exciting thing to be a part of. And I have to wonder if we don't have a pretty good glimpse of it around here these days. It's exciting. This is an exciting place to be a part of. People are being saved. Lives are being transformed. We're witnessing miracles. And God is at work. And because God is at work, the enemy is on the move, and we have to guard against him. I remember telling our very first leaders when we were just beginning as a church, we hadn't even met our first Sunday. We were in this stage where we were transitioning from the handful of us that met at a coffee shop to the first few of us that were going to try to meet in an actual church. We were shiny and, and new and it was all ideas. We hadn't even had a Sunday to try anything out. We had a call from God and we were clear about it. We were filled with hope and dreams and excitement and I thought those were exciting days. But I told them there's nothing negative about our church right now. There's no problems. We haven't had any fights or arguments. We've had some good discussions. But there's nothing negative in our church at all. And I said if there was ever going to be, if ever there was going to be negativity or if evil was brought into our church, it was because we created it and we invited it and we welcomed it. Because before we began, all that we had was the model of what the Christian church was supposed to be. And we had a dream of who we could be. And I said, we would be the ones that brought that stuff into the church because in the beginning it wasn't there. And my point was to say that you and I, as the people who make up the church, Jeff talked about the ecclesia, the gathering of believers, we are the ones that create the culture of the local church. I love the local church around the country because it's always flavored by the part of the country that it's in or the part of the world that it's in. And you and I, see, we have a hand in creating the culture of this place. See, I, I was not then, and I'm not now, interested in pastoring a church that is willing to be anything but a place that has a culture of love and gratitude and gratefulness for the people that God brings to us. I'm not interested in a church that's filled with infighting and agendas. We've all seen them. Some of you have been a part of them. Some of you have run away screaming and crying. 
But I'm all about pastoring a church that's filled with people who are learning and growing and passionately pursuing Jesus. See, the very first church had started the same way. It was healthy. It was filled with people who were being saved. They had witnessed and were witnessing miracles. Lives were being changed. People that they must have thought would never have been reached were being reached and touched and transformed. And it was exciting. In fact, it was so exciting that they began to do something that the world had really never heard of. They began to care for people that nobody seemed to really care about. It was the widows. The woman in that day lost her husband. She was on her own. She better hope she had family real close. Because there was no program. There was no support network. There there was nothing out there to help those women out. And the early church knew that one of their jobs was to care for people. And what it says is, some of those early Christians, and they're both Christians, it says the Hellenists and the Hebrews. It's the non-Jewish believers were the Hellenists, and the Hebrews were the Jewish believers. And they were all Christians. They were all people who were following Jesus. And it says there was a complaint that started because some of the widows weren't getting enough food when it was passed out every day. And ah, what began? Greed, accusations, hurt feelings, a mindset of us versus them rather than a mindset of we. And the church hit its first major bump. Evil had entered because people were feeling left out. And who was the ones that entered, allowed it to enter in? It was the Christians themselves who opened the door. See, what I find most interesting here is that with the apparent success of their mission to evangelize and get the good word out, telling people about Jesus, see, the church grew as would be expected. And as the church grew, some of the people from within became very unhappy because now the church wasn't the place that it used to be and it wasn't taking care of them the way that they wanted it to take care of them. And they were feeling left out and overlooked. And that's the way that we are as people, isn't it? Go back to the Old Testament. happened with Abraham and Lot and their families. The book of Isaiah says, even as the nations multiplied, their joy didn't. There's more people. And if you take that to a church, even as the church grew, their joy didn't grow. Do you want to be a part of a church that's huge and unhappy? I don't. And it's up to us. If a church grows big in its number, but it's shallow in its love, in its service and its faithfulness, it isn't really big at all. It's just full of hot air. I don't want to be a part of that church. I love the old song that says they'll know we're Christians by our love. They should, shouldn't they? The rest of the world that doesn't know what we do when we gather. If nothing else, they should know that we love people and we treat them in a way that honors them no matter who they are. That should be true most of all inside the church, but I would be willing to bet if I asked you to raise your hands, and I'm not going to, if I was, willing, if I was going to ask you how many of you have been part of an unhealthy church, How many of you have been part of a place where you heard more fighting in church, you couldn't wait to leave because the rest of the world was a lot more calm than what happened in the church? If I asked you how many of you have been hurt or had people gossip or lie about you from inside of a church, I bet you almost every one of us would raise our hands. That's what happens when we allow evil in. That's not the church that God created. That's not the church that God wanted. A church that begins to invite that kind of stuff always is going to fight, and it's never a fun place to be a part of. It becomes power struggles between agendas rather than people gathering in mission and united to serve God and talk about Jesus. 
And it seems easy. We should know exactly what kind of church we want to be. And yet, boy, we change the culture so quickly. That's why we're doing two very intentional things coming up here as a congregation. You've heard a lot about them. You're going to hear a lot more as we go forward. And they are very intentional, and we're very committed as a congregation to do both at the same time. The first thing we've done is we've committed a full-time pastoral position to care. Care ministry is so important because it's what we see the argument being about here in Acts. And so we as a church need to take a look at that and say, what lesson can we learn? And so Pastor Rich and his wonderful wife Karen are here. He is our care ministry pastor. And who is he here to care for? Their care. He's here to care for you. As of Friday, which for the record was his birthday. I didn't know about it on Friday and we had lunch together and I just completely dropped that one. I'm sorry. Happy birthday. As of Friday, Pastor Rich is a full-time care pastor at our church. Why is that? Because we want you to know in very clear terms that we care and that you're loved. And it's easy for a church to talk about it, but it's something very different When the church says that's a priority, that you're appreciated and we want to make sure that we care for you, we want you to know, and I know Pastor Rich's heart, Pastor Rich's heart is he wants you to know there's a place for you here in God's family at the open door. And not only do we want this to be your church, but we want this to be your home. Because I truly believe there's nothing better out there in the world than the local church. The second thing that we're committing to is that we're going to be a a gathering of who people who meet just like this for celebrations on Sunday morning, for teaching and for worship, but we're also going to encourage you to do something different. We're going to encourage you to do something more. We're going to encourage you to be a part of mid-sized groups. And they're launching this fall, and so we've committed another position, and Jeff is leading that charge, and he is working very hard, and he's meeting and growing a group of leaders to get the ground ready for when we launch that this fall. And the point is the Open Door Church leadership is committed to taking seriously what we read in the book of Acts, to learning the lessons that we need to learn, and then literally putting into practice how it is that we can be the church that God created us to be. And then a step further, what those mid-sized groups are going to do is they're going to allow you to take everything you learn and know and practice out into the rest of your life so that you don't have to just be a Christian at church. You get to be a Christian 24-7 everywhere you go. Sadly, in the world, that's kind of a, a new thing. Verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. The preaching of the Word of God, which we have as one of our three priorities here, that is so important. You can't neglect that. When we gather as people, we need to make sure that we keep the Word of God and teaching and understanding and learning and growing who God has called us to be at the very front of who we are. I'm not sure that any of you care what I think about the Bible, but I know that you're here because you care what God says in the Bible. There's a huge difference between what I think and what the Bible says. We're going to stick to what the Bible says. But they understand there's another thing, and that is loving and caring for people. Verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The twelve leaders are saying there's two very important priorities that they need to tend to. They need to deserve, they deserve their very best attention and they deserve their best people. Prayer and care of folks and preaching and teaching of the Word. It's how we learn and grow while the Holy Spirit 
fills us with care for people. And to ignore either one of them means we're not being the church. See, the only church understood the importance of God's Word and its preaching and teaching. In the seven, almost eight years that we've been a church, I think one of the things that we've gotten right from the beginning is we've never made anything more important than the Word of God. Nothing here has taken precedence over preaching and teaching God's Word as revealed to us in the Bible. That's why at the beginning of every worship service you hear that we're a gathering of Christians who hold God's Word and its accurate teaching in the highest regard along with the life of prayer and musical worship as the foundation for the faith life of this community. As long as I'm a pastor here, that's not going to change. Because I look in the book of Acts and it doesn't change. And when it does, things get off track and things start to get a little goofy. Verse 5. What they said pleased the whole gathering. So these folks that were fighting now are feeling a whole lot better about things because they said some of us are going to take care of the preaching and teaching and then others, folks who you choose, are going to take care of taking care of you. And the folks said, okay, that's good. It pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. A whole bunch of names. You don't have to learn how to pronounce them. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. If you've ever wondered why it is that when someone leaves this place and goes off to mission or ministry that we invite them forward to pray for them and we lay hands on them, that verse is why. Because when you commission and send and anoint and appoint someone for ministry, that's what the Bible tells us to do is we lay hands on them and we send them. And that is why we do it. It isn't our idea. We didn't come up with it. We're just following the book of Acts and the example that God gives us. Verse 7, And the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Did you get that? The guys whose job was to put down this new religion and to keep it from growing start coming to faith because what they're realizing is that there's life over here. When all that there is is rules and religion in the life that they've been living. A lot of us come from churches that's full of rules. We're not quite sure what to do about life. The priests become obedient to the faith because that they see in Jesus there is life. How did it go well? Because leadership saw what the problem was and they dealt with it directly and in a God-honoring way. They resolved the issue before it became a bigger source of strife. And the result was that they got back to preaching the Gospel without ever having to take a break. And the number of people who were saved just didn't grow. It says it multiplied greatly. See, when we're faithful to God, when we honor God and preach His Word, when we love and care for people, and when the leadership of the local church deals with murmurs and trouble spots quickly and directly and biblically, the church is able to remain a healthy place for people to meet Jesus and to grow in their faith. And isn't that why you get up early on a Sunday morning and come here? You don't come here because you want to hear people's fights or arguments or disagreements. As we get this part right, God is going to bless us with the opportunity to reach more people. And we also will see the number of disciples in this place multiply greatly. Part of the reason that we're moving to a mid-sized group model is because the Bible doesn't just talk about believers. The Bible talks about you and I as disciples. People who understand what it is to be a follower of Jesus and to live our life in a way that's consistent to what He taught us. Mid-sized groups is going to help us do that. It's going to help us 
disciple each other and learn to grow as Christians in a way that isn't going to put pressure on you and isn't going to have all kinds of expectations, but it's going to allow you to understand what it is to be a Christian. And as we do that, the number of people who grow in their faith is going to multiply because we're being faithful to God. I was asked this week, and I'm asked an awful lot, how many people are members of your church? I have no idea. Pastor Rich, do you have any idea? I don't think anybody really knows. I shouldn't be bragging about that, should I? Here's my point. If you've joined, we know, so thank you. It's not the priority. The priority is, are people coming to worship on Sunday mornings? Are people being changed and transformed and is Jesus becoming real? The number that concerns me much more than any other is, how many people are coming to gather on Sunday morning to worship God? We can have a membership of 10,000, but if we've got 50 that come to church, it doesn't really matter, does it? I don't want to pastor that church. I want to pastor a church that's got 10 times more people coming on Sunday morning because they want to be there to worship in their local faith family. 10 times as many as who call it their home as members. It's not to say that membership isn't important, but it's to say that it isn't most important. I've said this before, and I, I was basically threatened that I was going to be kicked out of a church once for saying it. So with the risk of that knowledge behind me, I'm going to say this again, okay? I absolutely love the Christian church, and there's only one problem that I've ever found with the Christian church. Do you know what it is? Christians. Us. See, the Bible talks about the Christian church being the bride of Christ, and Jesus is perfect in every way. Do you think that God is going to prepare a bride for His Son that is anything less than perfect? Absolutely not. And so part of the charge, part of the challenge for us as Christians is to keep God's church holy. The funny thing is, the Christian church wouldn't be the church without Christians. And so you and I, we've got to take a look at our part. God's charged us with being the ones that carry the good news of Jesus to the world. God didn't tell us to tell the world what you think about it. God told us to tell the world what He told us about Jesus. To carry the good news of Jesus to the world, and that begins with you and I, with you telling your friends, with you telling your family, with your co-workers, the people that you hang out with, and it's as simple as this. And sometimes there's not words involved at all. It's just the change that's happening in you that Jesus loves them. It's the most life-changing, radical message in the history of the world. See, God's called each one of us to different things within the church. We're all gifted to do things that we were created for in the kingdom. And your gifts and my gifts aren't the same and they shouldn't be. Because when the Bible talks about spiritual gifts, we all have different ones because when we live them out, the church becomes full. You wouldn't want a church full of people like me. You wouldn't want a church full of people that have my giftings because that would get real boring. There's a lot of things that wouldn't get done. But what God has done is brought all of us together. God called me to, to plant and to pastor and lead a healthy Christian family that's free of all the personal agendas and power struggles and, and to call it a church. And rather than dealing with all of the junk to, junk, to direct that energy toward loving and caring and reaching and teaching God's Word to people and helping to transform our area for the glory of God, we're not the only ones doing it. We're not the only ones trying to get it right. We're blessed in this area. We've got a lot of churches that are out trying to do the very same thing. But we're trying to do it the way that God called us to do it. And so with Pastor Rich's help and with Jeff's help, with Patrick's help, with our young people, and with the help of a whole lot of other staff and volunteers, we are doing it right.
we're getting it right a lot more often than we're getting it wrong. And if that's what you're looking for, if you're looking for a healthy Christian family, I don't know what your family you grew up in is like or what the family that you have when you go home is like, but I know what this family is like. And if you're looking for a healthy Christian family that will love and care for you and a place where God has placed His name and planted His Holy Spirit, then one of the things you hear about around here a lot is welcome home. And what I love, I hear from Pastor Rich, and I've heard it so many times, let them know that we have a place for them. God has a place for you here. Maybe this isn't the perfect church for you. Maybe your perfect church is somewhere else. But if this is what you're looking for, welcome home. Welcome to the Open Door Christian Church. We're not trying to do it different. We're actually trying to do it the oldest way that the Christian church has. That's taking the model from the book of Acts and just simply trying to live that out. And we're doing it because we care about... Pastor Rich, we care about them because God cares about them. Amen? You know what? And you can care for each other because God cares about all of us. What is the message that we would have you go share with your friends and family and co-workers? A very simple one. Jesus loves you. You can even tell that to people you don't like. You don't have to follow with an I love you, but you know as Christians we should. What's that thing? We're supposed to love everyone as Christians, but we don't have to like them? Is that it? But we know Jesus loves all of us. It's really as simple as that, and that's how the Christian church grows. Christians who believe that, who go tell the people that they know and care about that Jesus loves them too. That you don't have to be the same person today and tomorrow that you were yesterday. And that's how the church in the early days multiplied because of that radical message. And that is how the church will grow today. Because people will share the truth and begin to believe that Jesus really does love us. All of us. Let's pray. God, thank You for the example that You give us in Your Word. Thank You for that early church and everything that they did right. And thank You for the things that they got wrong because even those things are good lessons for us. God, help us to be a church that loves people, that cares for people, that helps to grow people in their faith, that always holds You and Your Word as the highest priority that we have, that lifts You up in Your Word and honor. And God, help us to be a place that never gets caught up in the busyness of being, but that is always about the business of preaching the good news of Jesus and that He loves every one of us. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. So one of the things that I also told our first leaders when we began as a church, because we'd come from different churches, and uh, one of the things that's beautiful about this place is that we all come from different churches. Some of us haven't ever been to church at all. Some of us come from other churches because we've had difficult experiences or we've just been away for a long time. But the thing that I said to them is, we cannot build something great for the kingdom of God by what we don't want to be. The only way that we will ever be able to build something great for the kingdom of God is by being what God has called us to be. That holds true for us as a church, but it also holds true for you as a person. You can't spend your life worrying about what you're not going to be. What you need to do is figure out what it is that God has called you to be. And where that begins is understanding your identity in Him, that you're a child of God. That Jesus loves you. You can't go telling that to other people if you don't believe it yourself. That you're a child of God and Jesus loves you. And so as you leave this week, I hope what you think about and and that you spend some time thinking about is not just Christian community, but your place in it. Who has God called you to be? What has God called you to do for Him in the kingdom?